Hey everybody, uh, it's me and Jeffy, and this is this is what they call an audio podcast rather than a video podcast. I know you've heard a lot of things this week about how it's all going to video. This is this is what we call audio. It's a di- mm. it's different. It's a different. Okay, let me genre. question. For, I've always I've always assumed the podcast implied audio, though. Am I wrong on that? I believe so, but that's, I think that it's the difference between a, a podcast and a vidcast. Like what Dangle does ah, is sort vidcast. of a, vi- okay. a, a vlog or a vidcast. And then and then he has a podcast too, and then we just do a podcast. There was that time. Remember that time when a lot of people probably don't know this. Yahoo tried to do a thing for me and you where they were going to do a thing where like we would be on video while we did the show, and they gave us ah. like little tiny small cameras. Yeah, to set up. We'd set up beside our laptops, and then we'd have to each upload them. Yeah, individually <laughs> <laughs> after the show. And if you know anything about me. <laughs> I spent more time with the upload than I did on the podcast. <laughs> You're like, right. uh, we st- yeah, we started that when we moved up here to Stouffville, and I'd be sitting in my office. My wife's like, "Aren't you done this podcast yet?" I'm like, "I'm effing trying to up. I don't. I can't get this. I gotta call. Oh man, I gotta call Yahoo again. I don't understand how to do this." And then the guy it's- that I would talk to would give me a really complicated. I love it. I love when guys in that side of the industry give you really complicated answers, but treat it as if it's really simple, matter-of-fact kind of stuff. Right, oh, exactly. And then ding, and it's up. It's done. Well, did, did, you, did you adjust the flange and check the bit rate? Oh, yeah, no. That's, that was my first idea, obviously. Now, I don't, remember, I don't even remember why that we didn't end up doing that. We tried to do a couple test ones. I do remember why, we wanted it, why they wanted us to do it. It's because, and, and this speaks to the larger sort of sports journalism thing that's happened in the last week, the Fox New- Fox Sports thing and everything else, is that MTV as well, um, is that the uh, – here's my theory on it. And, and I, this goes back to when I used to work at the newspaper, and I would watch ad salespeople struggle to monetize things that I thought were very easily easily easy to monetize, like a, a uh, high school football, football pullout section would be pretty easy to sell advertising for. Yep. People that work in sales – like to sell things that are a easy to sell and b that you know will make money so it takes a little bit of outside the box thinking to sell a podcast or to sell a space on a, on a website but to put an ad in front of a of a video well shoot that's just just like television that's a commercial it's a billboard sell simple commercials. there you go yeah, yeah it's and, a billboard. and so and so that's why in my mind, that's always been the driving force behind video. Not that the consumer necessarily wants it, but that the people who are selling advertising and bringing in revenue, it's the only thing that they know how to sell without having to reinvent the wheel. And uh, and that's why it's it's gotten the way it's, it has on, on in digital media. Hmm. How many things do you subscribe to that you pay for? Well, I, I'm, I'm not a cord cutter, so I, I still get cable. Mainly because I like to flip around and randomly land on things here and there, yeah. um, you know. So I, I, I do that. I, I subscribe to Entertainment Weekly, um, and I'm sure I subscribe to some things digitally that I just don't even know that I subscribe to, just because I probably did it through Yahoo, like as right. quote unquote part of the job, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> certainly gonna certainly, certainly gonna need this Playboy.com subscription. I mean, for goodness' oh, sakes, yeah. uh, they sometimes yeah, cover the Olympics. Out of anthropological uh, curiosity, need that. But for I, sure. but I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have. A, oh, we, we, oh yeah, we have the Washington Post. Uh, we described the Post as well, but not the physical one, the digital edition. What about the you? Do you, one. Do you, uh, you? Th- this weekend, I'm going to subscribe finally to the Athletic, um, and a lot of it is probably just to follow Dello's work. Um, subscribe to the Hockey News, but that goes back to when I was. I think it was the first subscription I ever got in my life. I think I was like 10 years old. So I've subscribed to the Hockey News forever. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to think of what else cable still have cable, yeah. uh, various sports packages, you know, like OHL action pack and things like that. So, but not a, but not a ton, but not a ton, but I wonder if now <clears throat> I'm at the point where, oh, and the Toronto star digital, um, I wonder if I'm at the point now where that's just going to have to be the new reality is yeah, I mean, if you yeah, want yeah. simple, pay for it. The athletics a great example. Like in the case of Toronto and in the case of Detroit, and I, and I'm assuming in the case of Chicago, Chicago to a certain extent, it's like they're they're offering a product that speaks to a, maybe a different audience than than being served by the the mainstream outlets, and it's also collecting some of your favorite voices. So like you know the idea that if you're in Detroit, 
and uh, and you like Custance, and then you sign up to read Custance, and then you sign up to read Katie Strang. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. The same thing in Toronto. Like if you're a James Myrtle fan, well, there's only one place to get Myrtle and get Dello. And that's that's the athletic. And, hey, and it makes a lot of sense to pay for that if you if you love those writers. Speaking of Katie Strang, who do I have to talk to at the Athletic to get her back on the hockey beat? <laughs> well, the problem is that her editor over there is the hockey beat, <laughs> so she's gonna have to <laughs> share some share some time, I think, with Craig over. Move there. over, get Stranger back on the hockey beat. It's a go we- Grand hey, Rapids. Listen, get on the hockey beat. It's a weird time for everybody in the industry, and like I, I guess. I, I, I've said I've said this, you know, to, to some classes I've spoken to and in and, and other places like I think there's a lot of opportunity there for for younger writers and for for anybody who can can, you know, multitask. And that's the real thing now is that like, you know, we, we mock the video thing off the top, but you got to be able to cut a video. You got to be able to write a video. You got to be able to do a, some audio and do a podcast. And even if it's in like a roundtable format, you look at all of the sort of indie publications that are springing up whether it's you know dk sports in pittsburgh or, or the athletic or wherever i mean these places are going to have to be really nimble as far as how they they uh leverage their different platforms and and that's kind of where it's been right now and if you if you're someone that can do all those things and you can you know spin a tail and, and have a little personality i think there's opportunities still at the slurpery despite the contra- contraction of the industry the contraction of the industry but you have more tools to do it yourself than ever before like when I started, like you had to be hired by a media outlet to do this, whether it was in some obscure outpost in Canada or if you're lucky like me, just like an internship at the fan in Toronto. Right. Like and but now, like if I started today, I wouldn't be, you know, begging for a job somewhere. I'd just start my own blog and start my own podcast. That's simple. Yeah. All the tools are there for you to do it. So There's, on, the, yeah, on, the, but, on the one hand, it's more challenging. You need to be able to multitask and do a lot of different things. Yet at the same time, all the tools are all available to you to do it yourself. And, but I think you hit on something, which is that there, there's two ways to go independent right now, which is that you have to have either name, previous name recognition, which is name recognition you've probably earned via working for traditional media or some sort of brand, or yeah. you have to go completely niche, which is to serve an audience that, that's completely underserved, which is why you see... For example, Eric Erlinson, you know, was a name when he worked with with the, the Tampa paper, Tampa. but now he's gone completely indie to to serve Lightning fans who might otherwise feel like they're not being served. And there's a lot of them, and I think that that kind of model works. But that's why the athletics, I think, is is kind of an exciting thing right now. Is that you you have both. You have name recognition people on staff of a thing that's serving local interests, and and that's kind of an, a, a really interesting and i think ultimately successful way to go based on the fact that now they're like franchising it so it's not bad all right richard deitch what's next (laughs) uh for the for the record uh, skip bayless's program seventy thousand viewers uh, a a rerun of uh of uh mutton stuff on Disney Junior did uh, 120,000. So uh but but, take but that, first skip. But first my conversation with Bob McCowan in Canada. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, actually I mean th- listen, to put a bow around it, like I've been thinking a lot about this cuz I just I just talked to my new boss at Yahoo uh you know for the first time yesterday and obviously as many people know, uh Puck Daddy uh has had a pretty considerable staff reduction Jeez. uh in yeah. the last two months. Um, me and Lambert are doing fine. Thanks for asking. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 something that plays in your mind. It's been a really weird couple of weeks in the industry too. With what with, you know, layoffs across the board at some really big places, and so I don't know. Like, it's not the first time we've talked about the industry on this dumb podcast. Probably won't be the last time. But but it's a hockey podcast, so let's let's, let's talk about something a little bit more uplift, uplifting, like the the death of Dave Semenko. Good lord, fifty nine years old, and um, growing up, he was. I remember people would talk about, you know, Dave Semenko and the way that they talked about, you know, Probert and Coaster when they ran the roost or George LaRocque uh, when he was uh, the toughest guy on the block. Like Semenko was the guy. He was the one you stayed away from. Uh, he was the one that didn't do it all the time. But when he did, it was a special event and it was always against the heavy of the, the heaviest of the heavyweights. Um I realize there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this podcast from a certain generation, a younger demographic that are going to say to themselves as they listen to this, I don't understand this role. And trust me, I understand that generations from now will look back at, you know, the role of the fighter in the NHL and people are going to look at us sideways like, what the hell is that? Where it, where did that come from in the game? How did it stay in the game as long as it did? 
But I can tell you that for the longest time in the WHA, which was full of gunslingers, right? It was full of, you know, Gordy Galantz and it was full of Kim Claxons um, and Steve Durbanos. Semenko was the guy. And then into the NHL, Semenko was the guy. He was that guy that everybody knew to stay away from who could also play a little as well. And, you know, the bodyguard for, for Wayne, there's another, there's another thing that people are going to look at sideways. Like, what the hell does that mean? A bodyguard um, well, in hockey. Look at it, he, but, he was, he but, was Wayne's bodyguard. On. Will they look for, look at it sideways? Because basically Jim Rutherford just did that. I mean, that's basically the justification for the Reeves trade, right? Is I think to get a bodyguard think, for those players. I think Re- I think Rutherford just made the Reeves trade to uh, to ensure that Tom Wilson will not get one good night's sleep all summer. <laughs> just to mess up Tom Wilson's sleep patterns. Uh-oh, all of a sudden there's Ryan Reeves I got to deal with when I want to get frisky with one of the Penguins players. Right. And, and but you're right. And the other the other facet of that too um insofar as the role of the enforcer and and why it was a necessity back in the day and it, it disappeared today. The other facet of that, too, is to, to speak to something you kind of started out with, which was that he was the baddest man in the game for a while. He was he was the, the heavyweight champ. He was the guy that could uh, instill fear in others simply through the threat of a fight versus the fight itself. And to that end, he was a celebrity, you know, much like Probert totally. was a celebrity. And, you know, he fought Muhammad Ali. We know all about, all know about that. I mean, he's yep. he was there was a cult of personality around these guys that is maybe even harder for people today to understand unless unless maybe the John Scott thing was the last gasp at, at why these guys were cult icons and, and, and kind of reminiscing about that type of thing. But like Semenko and, 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 and Coaster and Prober, like these were McSorley, these were these were stars. Like these were attractions. These were reasons you'd go to the rink on the off chance that they would have a fight against your heavyweight champ too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was always that sidebar story to the game. There was a game, and then there was this little mini game inside of the game. You know, is my guy going to go their guy? You know, is Kluzak going to go Kite? What's that going to be like when these two when these two teams look up Boston and Winnipeg? Oh, wow. Kluzak and Kite, no, they both play defense. But, man, could you imagine if? And then one day they did it. Um, and it was a, a, a fantastic fight and tape traders, and I was part of that loop, uh, went crazy for it. Um but Dave, Dave almost seemed as if he was almost this gentle giant in a lot of ways. Now, make no mistake about it. He loved doing it. I, I don't doubt for one second that Dave loved doing it. Um, did he love it as much as a guy like Tony Twist, who seemed to have loved every tiny little thing about fighting? No, probably not. Right. But I remember Marty McSorley telling me this story once. We were working together at Sports and we went for a drink after the show. And uh, I told this one on um, uh, on Ice Guardians. Um I was like, what was it like riding shotgun with Semenko? I mean, the legend, and you're a kid, and here he is. I mean, this is like, you know, the mentor moment. You know, snatch the pebble grasshopper, then you can leave the temple. And he said, you know, I was I was a young gunslinger, and I wanted to go all the time. And Semenko would always tell me, no, not today. Not today. We can't do it all the time. Um, but every now and then, it's it's time to do it. And it was like game three or game four, and Marty was itching. And he saw Semenko who was you know, taping up his wrists, and he just looked over at Marty. And he said, Marty, every now and then, we must remind them. And tonight, we remind them. Almost in this, like, you know, the older vet who's been around, wow. and now is the time to remind them that uh, we're not just going to surf on the rep. We're still the toughest dogs here. And tonight, and generally, it was a game against the Calgary Flames, and it would take four and a half hours, and Sports Illustrated recovered and say it's going to be the death of hockey. Um, <laughs> right. But, but um, and, and just, you know, to remind everybody in that game and around the league that, you know, Edmonton, the Oilers and these two guys were not just the most highly skilled in the NHL, but they were the toughest as well. And there, that was that era where, you know, the Islanders could play it any way you wanted. You know, they had Nystrom and they had Gillies and they had Gary Howitt and Bob Warren could throw them too. Like they had guys that could do it if you want. They matched that as well with, you know, the Brian Trotches of the world and the Mike Bossies and the Dennis Pot fans of the world. And I think one of the more underrated tough teams of that entire uh, generation was the, the, the Montreal Canadiens you know, who we tend to forget were real tough and led by maybe the gentlest giant of all time who ended, you know, the the the, the myth of Dave Schultz and Larry Robinson. Mm-hmm. But Montreal was like, that was the era where you had to be tough. And even though your reputation, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, was the flying Frenchman, you were still tough. 
because that's the way you had to play in the NHL at that time, post-1967 expansion. Yeah, it was a fascinating so, time. It, was, it truly was. And, you know, the, the WHA took it to a whole different level, you know, with the bench-clearing brawls and Durbano diving in benches. Like, it was it was nuts. Like, it was it was, it was crazy. It was, it was like, you know, uh, like Willis's book. It was the Rebel League. It really was that. It was a big back-scratching slap shots, wild hair and mustaches and big brawls and tons of fights all the time. But uh, but that was an element. Like, that was, a for those that may not be familiar with it, that was a significant element of uh, of the game. And a big part of that, and that's why you, know, you might be flipping on Twitter and saying, "Why is everyone going, you know, crazy over over Dave Semenko?" To many, you might seem like a footnote in hockey, but if you grew up in that era, in that generation, you know, all you had to do was, you know, say Sammy, you know, the the nickname for Dave Semenko, and everybody knew who you were talking about, and everybody knew that Sammy was the king of the jungle. Right. Or or say to a Calgary Flames fan, uh, a Flames fan, Cement Head. And they'll know exactly who they're talking about because that was the, <laughs> one of the other nicknames for Dave Smenko from from fans yeah. that may not necessarily appreciate him. My favorite thing ever about for those who don't know, he had a, he had an exhibition boxing match against Muhammad Ali, yep. uh, which was back in '83. Uh, um, so this is back in you know his playing days, the baddest man on the planet. Obviously, towards the end of of Ali's run, um, and uh, the best thing about it was was they had a they had a meeting. At Muhammad Ali's house, it's a, a th- like a three-round exhibition match, totally for charity or whatever. Yep. And and, uh, and uh, Ali wore like a warm-up suit, and I think I think uh, uh, Smenko went shirtless. So Smenko goes over to Ali's house, and they have a meeting about the fight. Muhammad Ali walks into the room, and he puts up his hands, and he says, "Okay, show me something." And and so. And so what do you do at that point if you're Dave Smenko? You obviously are going to throw a few punches, show him a little combination, show him what you're working with. So Smenko throws a combination of punches, and Ali goes, don't worry, kid, we'll make it look good. And then he leaves to go take a nap. <laughs> and that's the, full, <laughs> that's the full first interaction with Muhammad Ali that, that Smenko has before this big fight at the Northlands Coliseum. And it's just it was such a weird time for... Uh, for that to happen. But anyways, it, it, he was a legend and obviously part of hockey royalty, as it were, with the the Oilers. And uh, we'll be missed. I mean, he's, he's and I'll, I'll have way, really way too young to go with the kind of I'll, he had pancreatic yeah. and liver cancer, man. That is a hell of a way to go. And, I, and did I read John Shannon's tweet correctly? He, it was only diagnosed like two weeks ago. Yeah. he it, And even the Oilers oh, made, made reference to the fact that it was a short, courageous fight against cancer. But boy, yeah, it was Ugh. quick turnaround, man condolences uh, to the family and the friends of the late Dave Semenko, one of the masters of that trade, which I know boggles the mind of many that are listening to this podcast 20 years from when we're talking about it live here in 2017. Um, But he was one of the greats, uh, and some still maintain he was the greatest of them all. Now, speaking of Oilers royalty, I had it in my head that we might see Kevin Lowe amongst the Hall of Fame class this year. It did not happen. They did take four. He was not amongst the four. What what made you of the uh, Hall of Fame class this year? Oh, uh, I still want to see Cassie Campbell Pascal in there. I know it's coming one day. The sooner the better. Um, well, that's just that's the nonsensical part of this whole thing. Like, why can't you have more than one woman? It, it, it's yeah. kind of. I mean, like, why does like Haley Wickenheiser have to like stand in line to get into the Hall of Fame? <laughs> like, it's insane. I don't. Listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. Are we gonna have a? Uh, are we gonna have? Probably not, because they'll still be playing a lot of catch up, and eventually players like Steve Larmer will get in. But I mean, are we ever gonna have a year where there's you know just one woman that goes in as a player, or two women that goes go in as players, and no men? Probably not. But never. Um, Solani Solani was the tap in, and I don't know. I'm I'm hot and cold on. I'm I'm really hot and cold on Paul Korea, and I I don't know whether I'm I because I wanted him in. And I don't know whether I want him in just because I'm so biased, because I love the way he played, uh, not just at the NHL level, but internationally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Where are you at on Paul Correa? Because I can, I, I can totally flip-flop on this one. I, I feel like that once, and then granted, I think that Burray and Lindros both had that certain je ne sais quoi that, that, uh, that Paul Correa did not have as a star. I think both of those guys are sort of like, generational talents in a way that maybe Korea wasn't, who was just a really, really excellent player and became maybe even more than that when he played with Solani. But from a production standpoint, it's hard to deny a guy who was a point-per-game player in 
close to maybe 150, 200 more games than Lindros and, and Bure were. Yeah. So I think in that uh, instance, now does, you, doesn't doesn't it seem as if those two specifically Lindros and Bure have opened the doors for a lot of guys? Yeah, to walk in specifically Bure, because Bure opened the door for Lindros when they were both in. All of a sudden, that opened the door for Paul Correa. Yeah, and they're and they're all sort of from the same era in some ways, in the sense that it was not an era of player safety. It was an era in which these guys were getting kabonged by headshots at a time where we started to learn more about concussions. I feel maybe there's a little maybe. Do you think I'm, I'll just gonna put? It, is there a semblance of guilt about that? About the fact that 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 more wasn't done to protect a guy like Korea during his career, and now you look at the sport today, and he probably would would have been over a thousand games easily if it was today. Is do you think there's any guilt uh, there? I don't know that any of those voters have that sense of guilt as much as they look at this and say, "Hey, if we're gonna put Paul in, the time to do it is when we put Solani in." Completely, completely. I think he you was know? a special player. I understand what you're saying vis-a-vis the Hall of Fame because you and I, I think, both look for that, that little extra something that makes you a, a quintessential Hall of Famer, the thing that you can point at and say, this is why this guy is here. And I'm not quite sure if I could point at Paul Correa and say, this is why this guy is here, other than the point-per-game thing. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I wonder, too, what this means now for Paul Correa and the NHL because once he was done, like when he was done with St. Louis, vanished mm-hmm. and wanted nothing to do with the game. And... Uh, I'm close friends with one person who knows Paul pretty well, who kept saying, "Yeah, he wants nothing to do with this." Not 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 in- the Hall of Fame now, but no, but just doesn't want. This is before the Hall of Fame stuff. Just wants nothing to do with hockey because I've always wanted to interview the guy. I always wanted to talk to the guy, mm-hmm. right? It's one of the great elusive interviews in hockey media. You know, yeah. who can who can do the sit down with Paul Correa? It's going to happen was- now that he's going into the Hall of Fame. But I, I wonder if this is a a reopening of the dialogue between what is now who is now going to be a Hall of Famer in the NHL. He was asked about it, and he, he, he said a couple interesting things on the conference call after the, uh, the names were announced. The first thing he said is that he doesn't believe there's any fences to be mended with the NHL, which I – yeah, that's my reaction, too. That's my reaction, too. Um, he <laughs> – I don't know about that one. <laughs> that's a pretty great reaction. Or maybe he's just done with the game, and he's just like, look, you know, this left my body in tatters, and it's taken me, you know, a a long time even to get to this point. Like, I I don't think we appreciate how much that, you know, that 5'11", 185-pound body went through. It said it took him a couple of years. It said it took him a couple of years after retirement to get his body in order again. And that's not just the, the concussion thing, but it's also probably the rest of them, too. And he says he's headache-free, which probably was the best news of the entire day when they did the uh, announcements. But he said a couple things that struck me. He said that, you know, he really enjoys life. He enjoys surfing. He enjoys snowboarding. He enjoys living life and not having hockey be a part of it. And the the really, really interesting thing he said when he was asked kind of like, what about you getting back into into the into the game? Because Solani has always been pretty vocal about trying to get Korea back involved in hockey. The thing he said was, look... (laughs) <laughs> I was a player, okay? I don't think I've got the stuff to be a general manager because that's probably even a larger time commitment than being a player. And I don't think I necessarily want to work the travel beat that a scout works. And I don't know if I necessarily have the stuff to be a coach. And could it just be that some guys are players and they have no aspirations to do anything else in the game other than that and and he just put a period at the end of the sentence, and then that's his, that's his career in hockey. But there is one other obvious position that he's forgetting about, which is perfect for Paul Curry in the NHL. There is one job that is sitting there that is perfect for Paul Correa. Department of Player Safety? No, the job of being Paul Correa and working with the Anaheim Ducks. And you show up to a bunch of games, and you drop a puck here and there, and maybe you cut a ribbon, and you shake some hands, and you show up. And essentially, it's your job to be Paul Correa. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. You just have Ambassador to be Korea. Korea. Yeah, like yeah. around yeah. the Ducks organization. Like I get it. I, I'm I'm still very much of the mind that you need to put the premium and the focus on the players that are in the game today. And I I don't think that the NHL even does enough of a uh, enough of a good job doing that right now because they still have you know. And I get maybe it's just because the hundred year anniversary. 
um, but still have, you know, one foot very much in the past and honoring those that came before and sitting on the shoulders and hear the names on the cups and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, there's a great hockey game going on here. And there's some fantastic players that are playing in the game. Now let's talk about all these guys. But, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm in the minority here. I think fans love it when their heroes are still with the team in some capacity. You know, ask Wendell Clark in Toronto what his job is. His job is to be Wendell Clark. You know, and there's a job sitting there in Anaheim for Paul Correa. It's called Be Paul Correa. There's only one person that can do that job. Would that interest Paul Correa? And to answer your question, it's uh, it's no different than having everybody wrestle Triple H at, at WrestleMania 17 years <laughs> after he got into wrestling. It's a, there's nobody. No, we don't care about anybody as much as we do the the stars of our youth or the stars of yesteryear. I mean, it's how, how exhilarating has it been to see Mario and Gretzky? like this prevalent in the last few months. It's been exhilarating to see that. Yeah. I mean, specifically Wayne too, because Mario's kind of come out every every now and then sometimes, you know, he'll fire off a a missive about, you know, how disappointed he is in the the NHL and then turn a blind eye. What his Penguins players might be doing. (laughs) Um, But no, listen, the game is always better when the stars are involved and the stars are public. And I know that Mario wants to be, you know, somewhat reclusive and play golf with Pierre Labrouche and watch his games and have a glass of wine and coach his kid. And that's cool. Um, I think we all like the fact that Wayne's out there more. I yeah. think the, I think we I think I mean I don't know what is cooler at the uh, at the awards show than watching Wayne Gretzky award Connor McDavid the Hart Trophy. I know. I mean, right? Come on, is that the most perfect hockey trophy moment you've ever seen? Best one I've ever seen. Wayne Gretzky re- announcing Connor McDavid. Just remember, Merrick, it's a garage league, and on that garage is a basketball hoop. And P.K. Subban's head was simply the basketball. And that's why Sid was bouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. That's all. Okay, very good. Yeah, that's all it is. All right. um, ah, but he had an ankle lock on him. Oh, whatever. It's hockey playing. Uh, that would be a, a UFC-type ankle lock, according to Sidney Crosby. Oh, no, right. no, no, an, noted he was, MMA fan, he was, apparently. It was Ken Shamrock. He's going after the ankle. Okay, <laughs> sure. Shamrock greasy all over. Hey, I'm just happy that Subban didn't poo the ring like that girl did in uh, Oklahoma. Oh is that the highlight? What's that? I've heard about it. I have not seen yeah, it yet. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole contingent of people that refused to click that link when they saw it. I clicked it the minute I, think I, I saw I think it. I, might, I think I might be one of them. <laughs> I'm getting real old. I got no desire to have a look at that. <laughs> Man. Talk about your losing streak. Now, here's the thing oh, about... I know. Ow. Now, you brought up Connor McDavid. We should talk about that. The contract... The massive thirteen point two five million dollar cap hit that's being discussed on a. Can we hang eight, on? First of all, can we make deal. a list? Can we make a list of everyone on Hockey Central who called me an idiot for suggesting fourteen? Can we just make a list, just for posterity's sake? Well, let, let's. Uh, the, the reason that I, I I would imagine somebody would say that say that fourteen was insane is either one, they honestly didn't believe that anyone could get there to that number based on what everybody else in the league is making currently. But more so than that, I have to imagine that they have no concept of percentage of the cap vis-a-vis the contracts that came before Connor. Because as has been pointed out by a lot of people, what he's asking for now is not too far away from what guys like Sid got when they, when they were up. Mm-hmm. So, you know. When, when, Sid, when, when Sid was up, Right. As a sec, uh, second contract, he he was seventeen point three of the cap. Ovechkin was nineteen. Well, this in, is not in, out in, of in, this is this is not out of whack. It's not out of whack, but those numbers were also like compared to the cap of the previous year, because uh, Ovechkin's and Crosby's numbers were both a little bit lower percentage based on the cap the year that their contracts kicked in. Like I've seen that Ovechkin nineteen percent number all over the place, and it's a little bit misleading, but. It's also very, very accurate to say that Ovechkin was m- ridiculously overpaid in that contract and only because the Capitals refused to structure it as a backsliding deal, which is what they should have. Yeah, and could have. Yeah, and could have, right. But didn't do. Right. Because I'm um, guessing they think that there, there's a greater, here, greater chance of him fleeing to Russia if he's making only $4 million in year 12 or whatever the hell it was. How come no one's... T- you know, the, there's the hue and cry out there of how, you know, the McDavid salary is going to ruin the Oilers' chances of winning a Stanley Cup. Dreisaitl's contract is going to ruin the chances of the Oilers winning a Stanley Cup. Has it not been shown that you, you don't get in trouble when you pay your big guys? When you start to pay your bottom guys, the four or fives and six million dollars, that's when you get in trouble? Like, 
Yeah. I, my, my only concern out of all of it is if this doesn't work for the Oilers, if this doesn't work for the Oilers, and we all expect it will work for the Oilers with Connor McDavid there, but if it doesn't, my concern is the fingers get pointed at the wrong person and the wrong people. Right. No, you won the think... lottery with McDavid, like the ultimate hockey lottery. You won it the same way the Penguins won it after the lockout year. You won the ultimate lottery. Don't point fingers at that guy getting paid. Don't. There's, li- there's literally only one person I care about right now on the Oilers, and that's Pierre Chiarelli. Because the problem with Chiarelli is, is this. The thing you just described about not overcompensating your supporting cast is the thing that he did in Boston. <laughs> and so, like... It all led to ruin there. It, re- it led to his demise. It led to them making some really bad decisions, uh, specifically on the blue line, because they couldn't afford anybody. But now, the, re- the, the like you said, the great teams, the, the winning teams, are the ones with a core of young players or a core of star players, and those star players are compensated quite handsomely. Malkin and Crosby, Taves and Kane, yada, yada, yada. The, the difference between teams that are top-heavy losers and the teams that are champions is how the general manager and his staff, how they choose to color around the edges. Yeah. And Jim Rutherford showed that you could do it. Ray Shiro couldn't quite figure it out, and that's why he's in New Jersey now. Stan Bowman has shown through several cycles of this that he can do it. And I am not entirely confident that Peter Shirelli is the guy that can look at a roster, see... 40% of his cap tied up in four players and uh, and figure out a way to fill in the blanks. I don't know if he's the guy to do that. I don't know. It, it, I, I've, I'd like to think you can't screw it up when you have someone like Connor McDavid. Right. So I, am, I, I, I wait as a curious observer to see what gets filled in here because it seems as if, you know, the money they saved on the Eberly deal, they just stuck in Chris Russell's jeans. Who... Which was pretty easy because he's not that mobile. You can just kind of walk up right next to him go, and stick guy. all that money in his jeans. He won't four even million, he can't get yeah, away. Times four, we're good. Yeah, take yeah, that. Yeah, can't get away. Yeah. No, and Russell's a good example. I mean, I, I, I we're not going to continue to legislate the war of Chris Russell on this podcast. But again, like, I don't know. He's fine, I suppose. But the rest of it, I don't know. And right now they're in a good spot because they do have so many younger players. But, you know, eventually all that, all that comes home to roost and, and they're going to have to start paying guys like Nurse. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work out. As far as, it's going to take a very deft hand to make it work out. Now, the good news out of this whole thing is that it's, it's now nine years of McDavid coming up, counting the last year of his entry-level deal. And yep. that is a little bit of a surprise, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I... I I knew it could happen, but there was also part of me that said, what if it was just five? I thought it could just be five, but it wound up being eight on top of one. Mm-hmm. And that means that Do- you have an, an, an unprecedented run of stability for this organization now. Totally. Um, and a run on selling a whole ton of jerseys and keeping that building sold out. Uh, every, now, the, the, the interesting question now is, okay, so what does Eichel sign for? Not so much money. Right, because McDavid has now reset the marketplace, and so everyone sort of falls underneath that. But if you're Eichel, do you go shorter term? Uh, because Edmonton bought up some years, right? Yeah, I don't know. That 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 to me is the curious one. And then there's the Austin Matthews discussion for next year. But trust yeah, me, dude. Could, but, these are but, these are these are wonderful problems. For these like I, I don't want to hear any anyone complain about them. I don't want to hear any fan base complain about these problems, because this is what happens when you have a, a super duper elite players. In Eichel's case, though, wouldn't a shorter term contract be a a a mark of a, a vote of, of of no confidence in the franchise? Uh, perhaps. I mean, it would I, be a, just, I, a justifiable I, I, vote. I mean, I, let's be honest. I, I suppose. I mean, I'm I'm sure you're you're Jason Bottrell. You want to get him on, you know, the max deal. Mm-hmm. But if you're Jack Eichel, who's his rep? Uh, I guess it would be Peter Fish. Would you not look at doing something shorter? I think you would. Eight? I think you would. But then again, I, I I don't think he will because, as we know, 
the only reason that he wouldn't sign a long-term deal was because of Dan Bilesma. <laughs> right. Remember that? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah. Austin Austin goes 8 years. What do you think the ter- what do you think the capital be for Austin Matthews when all similar said and done? Similar to Connor. Probably, right? I don't see why not. We're really going to have rollbacks in this next one, aren't we? This Just start the lockout now. Just <laughs> <laughs> Start it now. <laughs> my, my, I, listen, we've all we've all had it in the back of our minds, but literally the first thing I thought of thought of when I saw that Oshi contract was, oh, Ted knows they're going to have compliance buyouts. Like that's the first thing I thought. You don't go eight years with somebody over thirty without com- being completely confident you could make that contract go away by like year five. That was my first thought. Ted, good news. Go eight years. You only have to pay for five. We got compliance buyouts coming, but don't worry about it. We're going to be all good here. Yep. Um, still want to see now. We haven't seen a, a breakdown yet of the uh, of the salary versus bonuses for McDavid, right? As far as lockout protection. Yeah. Yeah, because that was the big thing yesterday. LeBron mentioned that it, 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 that was one of the hangups on the contract was. Uh, um, Lockout protection. Not, yeah, whether it was going to be lockout protected. Well, I mean, Aura Group rang the bell with Aaron Eckblad with the Florida Panthers. They got what they wanted. Was it $3 million of lockout protection on the $7.5 million contract? Mm-hmm. So this is a group that is... And listen, they hold all the cards. Like, what's Edmonton going to say? Like, honestly, in a lot of ways, McDavid's giving you a break. Could have maxed out. Didn't max out on term. Didn't max out on salary right now. Like, what are you going to say if he wants, you know, have, I don't if let's say he wants $4 million of it in lockout protection. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say? No? Yeah, you can't, what, you can't say anything. He's the, he's the franchise. He's got him over a barrel. Yeah. Yeah. He's already, you know, handed him more money to sign more players. By not taking the max, mm-hmm. I don't know. And this, and I, I get that Edmonton fans maybe scream about this one, but this is this is a deal. When you have someone like Connor McDavid, and you have him at thirteen point two five, he just gave you a deal. That's a deal because he should be fifteen. Mm-hmm. Hand it back like two million bucks. He's such a, he, what a what a martyr. <laughs> <laughs> How will he make ends meet? How will he make ends meet? Poor fella. Right, Poor guy. Dip, oh, before we dip our toes in the free agency, uh, y- y- your thoughts on Recky and Andrew Chuck, by the way. Obviously, Andrew Chuck's been kind of a cause for this podcast over the years to get a lot him of goals. In. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, I mean, lot of, un, lot of goals. And un, Recky's, and, Recky's a lot of production and a lot of, and a lot of cups. Not, and, not, and not just not just at the NHL level, but at the junior level as well. I tried to voice this in a piece this week on, on Puck Daddy, but like, I don't feel like there's any reason why... We, we can praise the facets of different players' careers uh, and not praise the longevity and the production that came with that longevity for these two guys. Like I, To me, it's like like we said before, the, the, the essence of a Hall of Famer is you can point at the plaque and say, here's why this guy is here. And for me, I can point at Andrew Chuck or Recchi and say, they played through different eras, they won the war of attrition against the National Hockey League, and they put up top 15 numbers in their career. And I think that's laudable. I don't think that's something where it's like the word compiler has been used when it comes to a guy like Recky. And I think that's sort of unfair to him because we just had a guy go into the Hall of Fame in Korea who unfortunately couldn't even make a thousand games. And these guys, these guys did it. These guys played the game and survived the game. And I think that there's something to be said for that. You know, what's interesting about that. That's an interesting point because you talk to a lot of hockey players uh, and when you talk to them about other players, you know one of the first things they always bring up is how long they stayed in the game. Like to other hockey players, that means a ton. Like I know to a lot of yes. fans it might it might not, but if you talk to a player, like, oh yeah, man, that guy had a 15-year career. That guy was in that game for 15 years. Think about mm-hmm. it in that terms. Because everyone's trying to get yeah. in that game. Found, and the key found- is stay in there as long as you can. And also just like the changes that you make to to your game as a player. I mean, Andrew Chuck, obviously not the same guy he was in Buffalo when he was in Tampa. Uh, Recky, you know, kind of played the wrecking ball style for a long time, but he wasn't the same guy he was in Philly that he was in Boston. Like the modulations that you make to your own game, to your own training, everything else, I think that is incredibly laudable. And yeah, this isn't me saying that Matt Cullen should be in the Hall of Fame. 
This is me saying that when you got when you're top fifteen in goals or you're top thirteen in points, you got a pretty damn good case if you also have the longevity thing going for you. So I've got no beef with either of those guys being Hall of Famers. I think they're both really worthy choices. And it, yeah. it kind of bothers me when people are like, well, they didn't they didn't transcend the game. I'm like, well, you know what? A lot of people in the Hall of Fame didn't tra- – Bernie Federico didn't transcend the game, okay? Maybe in St. Louis he did, but nowhere else. Um, so I think, that, you know, if you ha- – you could you could easily point to either of these guys and say this is why they're worthy. Yep. You've op- Listen, doors have been opened before. These guys just stepped in. That's all. The precedent had already been set. We can't grouse about it. The Edmonton, Edmonton Oilers buyout, Benoit Pouliot today – which I'm sure will be uh, something that Steve Simmons sticks in his quiver, that arrow uh, to fire whenever somebody brings up analytics because Pouliot was very much a coursey signing for five years by the Oilers, Mm -hmm. and now he is a buyout victim. So, uh, you know, just because someone had great possession numbers, sometimes the signings work and sometimes the signings don't, and in this case it did not. Selective. I'll, I'll I'll take Pouliot on my team any day of the week. I really would. Um, some Scotty... Oilers fans listening is going like, "Oh yeah," and with that, he just took two holding calls. But no, I'll take Pulley. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty Hartnell gets bought out by the Columbus Blue Jackets. I wonder if there will be. I feel like there's going to be a Pennsylvania thing for him. Do you think it could be the Flyers or the Penguins? Or do you think it just be like the Flyers if he goes back? There was interest from Nashville. Remember that? that oh the, yeah, uh, that the Ryan, Ryan Johansson, um, Seth Jones deal was actually going to be a, uh, a four-person uh, deal. Wilson and, and Hartnell being the other two components of it. I wonder if there's a, a reunion there if he goes back with his old coach, Peter LaViolette. That would, that would be the first line that I draw. That's not a bad thought at all. Thanks, um, man. It would, have to, it would also have to be a, a bit cheaper than the money he was making previously, but that's okay. I think I he's think, due for I a think, haircut. I don't yeah, think he's going to ring the due for a haircut? <laughs> I just realized what I said, yeah, when I said that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now let's get to the, the two biggest names, Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton. Now, the common thought right now is that Jumbo is looking to see what happens with Marlowe. And if Marlowe somehow finds his way back to San Jose, so will Joe. If Marlowe ends up going somewhere else on a longer-term deal, then we might not have a Jumbo in San Jose anymore. But what say you to that? Do you think, do you think no matter what, Thornton's a shark? Or do you think that there's a I, chance that he could move on? I kind of feel like they're both staying, don't you? I, I, listen, they, I, like, I, I, am, I don't think they're ready to completely hand over the keys yet. I am much more convinced that Thornton will stay than Marlowe will stay. I think I Patrick believe Mar- that. I believe that. Yeah, yep. I think Patrick Marlowe believes that he's got some years left, and I think the San Jose Sharks believe that maybe they want to put him on a, a, a one a very very short term to bring to whatever, come back for another run. Whatever happened to his trade request two years ago? That was a huge story for a week and then vanished. And it was either L.A., Anaheim, where he wasn't going, or the New York Rangers. That's why I think both of these guys have uh, – their their relationship with the team is sometimes overblown because I feel like they both have come to loggerheads with with Doug Wilson at at many points, but they always have remained there. I feel like that's sort of just the relationship they have with the team um, where where Marlowe would be pushed to something like a trade request and then nothing comes of it. I don't know. I feel like – there's definitely going to be a market for Marlowe, and and there might be a team that throws three or four years at him, which would not be smart, but I think it could happen. Wow, you think that much, eh? I think someone could come at him with three years. I think it's what he's looking for. Thirty-seven years old. I think it's what he's looking for. Oh wow. Okay, if he can get it, hallelujah, buddy. Buddy, how many horrible contracts do we see that are that are signed in the that are long term deals but are specifically for the short term? I know, I I, 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 I get that, but I still away from winning. You're going to sign him, but I I still can't greet it with a shrug. I can still do the oh man, I can still wince a little, can't I? If you're Jeff Molson and you sign Marlowe for three years and he 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 brings you to a championship round within two years and you buy out the third year, you're feeling pretty good about life, aren't you? Yeah, you always have that option. Although, does he play center now? He's he has before. Right the real oh, issue okay. is the over thirty-five thing. That's 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 the real issue. Is that so you can't necessarily s- make it no disappear. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to trade the, the the cap space, and all of a sudden the Coyotes have decided they're a real hockey team and they don't want to take your cap space anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. Hey, it's like the minute the minute Dave Tippett was gone, boom, John Chica. Open floodgates. 
Bring in players. Yeah. Please let them play a different style next year. How do you like the how do you like the how do you like the NHL having to step in between Barraway and Tippett to negotiate a an out for them? Well, it took the guarantee that no matter what happens, if he signed with anyone else, he still gets that money. But man, right. Dave Tippett walked away from a lot of dough. Which yeah. leads me to believe that maybe in the back of his mind he's got another job. I wonder where though. I don't know. I what team could use someone like Dave Tippett? What team is out there that maybe has a struggling coach behind the bench uh, with a, a team of rascals that could use some uh, defensive structure and some old school posturing? Sounds like you have something in mind. Colorado. Oh. I don't know. I just throw it out there. It was a fir- it's funny. The first conversation I had with someone about the Tippett situation, that was the first team that came out of this person's mouth. Do you think no, I'm not, that... No, I'm not saying that they're going to you know, all of a sudden like dust Bedner now, but all I'm saying is when Dave Tippett becomes available, if you're, if you're a struggling coach with a struggling team, all of a sudden you're nervous. Do you think when that... When you look at the was... skill set that Dave Tippett has. Do you think if he was available at Dallas would have hired him over Hitch? Uh, he's got the background there. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think that I think that the Hitchcock signing was 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 a lot of Tom Gallardi. Yeah, I think so too. I think it was it was more Gallardi. It, it feels like it was more Gallardi than it was Nil. I could be I'm off just, base on it, but I, I I don't think I am. On the Marlowe thing, I'm just assuming someone's insane, and and we'll give him a third year. I don't really know that he's looking for one. He's probably just looking for two, and the Sharks are like, we'll give you one. I don't know. It'll be interesting because normally guys, at, normally guys at his age, just sort of go on evergreens, right? He's been with the same team since 1997. He's a career. Normally at this shark. point, you just you just saying to yourself, oh, I'm just going to go one year at a time now. I don't know how oh. much, how how more, how many more times I want to put my you know 230 pound body through this. He's a career shark. We all want to see him retire a shark. I don't like. I do this whole thing. I want I want Shane Doan to retire. I don't want to see him in another uniform. I don't think you have to worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like honestly, I mean, is no it one. He can't, you, yeah. you think someone's going to take Shane Doan? First of all, if you're going to take Shane Doan, it's going to be a bottom six situation. It's going to be bottom six money. Shane Doan coming back for one more year at a bottom six position with bottom six money. I can't him. see it. I can't see it. I don't buy the love of the game stuff. How about a line of Marlowe? Aginla and Shane Doan. And Shane Doan. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Come on, George McPhee. You want to sell some tickets, don't you? Uh, I don't know. Those names resonate in Vegas. <laughs> um, We've got Hall of Famers here. You know whose name probably resonates in Vegas? Blair Betts. Now, it's probably time to open nice. up. The, uh, nice. Thank you. I just the, got uh, that. Very good. Uh, there you go. Good Very fourth good. line checker. One of the best in the game when he played. Good in the slots. Um, here is uh, it's probably time for us to open up the MVSW mailbag mail and feel uh, get a feel for what. By the way, thank you for everybody who came out to our meetup in Chicago. We had a very healthy, it was good healthy, uh, group out there. It was good and to see tr- some people. True, true to my form, uh, bailed early to go get some work done and get mm-hmm. a decent night's sleep. But thanks to everyone that I said hi to and had a chance to have a conversation with. Um, that was fun. It was good to see Leahy too. Man, I just wanted to hug that big Irish goof. He's very huggable. It's like it's yeah. like it's literally like hugging a potato, and it's I mean, but he's like a soft potato, like one that's been maybe in the sun for a little bit. He was but like he's... he was he was really offended when I was leaving, <laughs> <laughs> like personally offended. What are you doing? I think he's gonna punch me. Uh, thanks to Ali. Thank, hang on. Thanks to Ali Bickford as well for hooking it all up. She's Absolutely. a total delight. Like one of the night. I love this podcast if for no other reason than the people that we've met. And Allie Bickford's right amongst the top of people that I've met from doing this goofy podcast. There's a lot of people that I have now as friends that I'll see like once every two years, but I'll text with all the time um, just because of this podcast. And Bickford's one of them. So thanks, Al. You, you've done good. I'm still getting over the idea of the master of the Irish goodbye. The Irish goodbye. That's for right. leaving early. I see. Like, what are you? The, this is the Irish goodbye. What the hell are you giving me? It's like our kids are a couple of you know like eighteen months apart. My wife and I call them Irish twins. I've never heard the Irish goodbye before. He he uh, he, Leahy, Leahy, uh definitely was the life of the party that night because he, uh, he me and and uh, Brian Metzer, uh, the Penguins uh, writer, uh, left uh, for the hotel and Leahy was still at the bar. Yeah. And uh, and uh, he came up to me and Metzer the next day. He's like. 
He's like, hey, uh, Brian, when did you leave the bar? And uh, and Brian's like, we I left with Wish. Like we left pretty early. He's like, no, you didn't. You were still there. And I'm I'm like, I'm like, Leahy, were you talking to someone at the bar who you thought was you Brian thought it was Metzer? Brian Metzer. <laughs> And, and he had left an hour and a half earlier. <laughs> he takes takes Uber back to the hotel. Man, that Metzer guy's know nothing about the penguins. What the hell that guy's <laughs> He's got someone fooled over there. Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. Uh section oh, oh, and thank you to Scotty Waz and NHL History Girl for a lovely gift yeah. that they gave me. They gave me a devil's hat with the old school uh green and red logo. And it's it's denim, and and uh, I I, I, I no looked way. at it and I'm like that is the single most jer- the only way it could be more jersey if is if there was a piece of Taylor ham on on the hat somewhere like ah. it, it is like it is a denim devil's hat. Now I just have to get John Bon Jovi to sign it and it'll be the most jersey thing you could possibly imagine. Hey man, um, the section three twenty eight boys, I got a, uh, they gave me a beautiful uh, cheaters never win T shirt. Thanks boys, nice Much appreciated. That was speaking lovely. of the devil, they have a question. So, Does anyone actually offer sheet dry sidle, and why should Ron Francis be the one to do it? The Carolina fans are very obsessed right now with the, the RFA signing of Leon Dreisaitl by their team just because of the cap space they have and the need they have at center. Um, to answer your question, it's because he's an RFA, which means by law, no one will sign him because it's an old boys network. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ain't, ain't going to happen. Not in that situation. I, I, I was I thinking think about the the, the one the, and uh, Della wrote about this on the athletic. The one that does make sense is for the Maple Leafs to target Colton Pareko. Oh yeah, by far. That's the that's the biggie, and it makes a ton of sense. Um, I was thinking about this because I'm I'm kind of doing a video I think this week for Yahoo about the RFAs. Why why are general managers so quick to trade away prospects to win now? Okay, knowing you that this, you want at, the short answer at whole, well, knowing at best they've got a five year lifespan, but they are so worried about the repercussions of signing a restricted free agent. Like when, when, when Dean Lombardi was like, go ahead, make my day, try to sign away Drew Doughty or whatever. I'll get you when your guys are up. Like, why would a general manager on a team give a, a flying crap about that? He's going to be gone by the time his RFAs come up. Uh, but you're just trying to win in the short term in all of the moves that you make. I'm always surprised when general managers take it personally when their players get offer sheeted, considering, by and large, and again, this the number is dwindling as more quote unquote you know non hockey players end up in those roles um, when they've spent their entire lives competing against players why is it so offensive that someone in business would do something aggressive against your team when you've grown up with the exact same guy you know, trying you know to, to send you off the ice on a stretcher like I don't know where you know they where, how you come off getting so offended by that. I mean, if if I'm a general manager, I just say, well, that's business. This is tough. This is a competition. I crave competition. Have they put me in a difficult spot? Yeah. All of a sudden, the puck's in my corner, and there's three forwards coming in, and I've come in and on me, and I've got to figure out a way to get the puck out. This is really no different. You know, take that, take the hockey language, and put it in business language. I don't know how you get offended when someone does that to you. I I, I don't. I really don't get that part of it. Like when you get angry about it. Yeah. It's competition. Yeah. Why do I think competition stops when you take your skates off? It doesn't. It's so bizarre. Uh, Jimmy Doyle has a question about Matt Duchesne and the Islanders, but let's just blow it up to the bigger picture, which is what do you think is going to happen with Matt Duchesne? I was discouraged to hear Joe Sackick he's, say he's, uh, there's a good chance he's going to stay. That tells me that Sackick's <laughs> price is super high. No one's meeting yeah. it. And he knows essentially that keeping him on the team will be better than trading him for assets that he doesn't believe are, are worthy of a Matt Duchesne trade. And that scares the hell out of me because I, uh, I want to get together SEAL Team 6 and liberate Matt Duchesne from the Col- <laughs> the Colorado Avalanche at this point. Uh, still don't know exactly what the ask is, but good for Joe Sackick. If he's not getting what he wants, he's under no pressure to trade this player. Good, f- good for him. You know, s- sweat this one out. Play a longer game. Get the return that you want. You know, I'm sure Steve Eisman would have loved to have trade Jonathan Drouin. The first conversation we had with him and his representation. 
But nope, not going to get what you want. And why would you trade Matt Shane coming off of that year? <clears throat> I wouldn't. Yeah. Trade the player that has you know the 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 year of decline. Not a chance. If I'm committed, if I'm if you're committed to moving him and you've made up your mind and you will not go back, put him in a situation to heat up. Michael Perino wants to know, assuming Jeff Gordon knows what he's doing, if the New York Rangers don't sign bad sign bad contracts, what are some of the some unsuspected potential trades he may attempt? I think it's more of a question of what they actually what they're actually going for. Like you figure the trade of, of Stepan tells you that they well they feel Hayes is, is better than maybe people think, but they also think that maybe I, to me it seems like they're clearing the decks to acquire a center, and mm. then you have the blue line situation, which is a bit of a conundrum because at the end of the day you might have the Rangers and Devils and, and Sabers all bidding on Shattenkirk potentially. Devils is an interesting one for Shattenkirk, hey? That's kind of popped up now out of nowhere. I think it's always I, I, been there, and I think it's always been there mm-hmm. because they know their blue lines in shambles. They know that they, 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 you know, how do you address it? You address it through the draft. Well, if they don't get the top pick next year, they're probably not going to address it through the draft. Um, and Shattenkirk is, I guess, maybe still young enough where they feel like he'll be productive by the time they're okay in two or three years. Yeah. I don't know. I, I still see Shattenkirk as a ranger. And maybe I do too because I think I've, ultimately I've been, I've been saying it for so long. Ultimately, it's where he wants to be, you know. So one assumes. But what, what do you think about Buffalo? Like to me, he's such a perfect fit for Buffalo right now. Well, they need to they need to redo the entire blue line almost. Right, and and like they have a, they have they have so many players. I mean, listen, they got the special teams was a disaster. Right, um, the blue he line helps, was he helps that was was awful. They have players that are playing well out of their position just because you know they need listen you need a number one and you're paying someone as a number one so damn it Rasmus Ristolainen is a number one defenseman when really he's not so that's exhibit A is completely redo that blue line mm-hmm. <clears throat> now I don't know I don't know it depends where you think the Buffalo Sabres are on their winning cycle I mean, clearly they they're going be. up. They clearly they're going yeah. up, but by how much? I mean, one assumes yeah. they'll have a healthy Jack Eichel for the entire season. Still want to figure out that goaltending position with them a little bit, unless they're going to try know. to get a goal mark. I I still have a feeling that Robin Leonard, Robin Leonard may not be there next year. Yeah, that's why I thought the perfect deal, if it wasn't for the fact that he's now the de facto face of the franchise, would have been to get Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, oh no, God, Mark it would be perfect for them. Yeah. Uh, what, one more from, from Ninja Ray. She wants to know, did the market go soft on Vegas or did Vegas make bad expansion draft choices vis-a-vis the expansion draft that happened in Vegas? Now the dust is settled and we, we see what, the, what kind of team they have. Did we, did we, are we guilty of overhype or, or is it simply a case of maybe the, the, the Vegas team not doing as good a job as, as we thought they could in, in, in the, leveraging assets, assets? In the expansion draft itself or using those assets to get the draft ex- picks? The expansion draft and the run-up to it. I kind, of, I kind of think Vegas is exactly where we thought they were going to be. And now they have themselves some, some assets that they're still going to trade probably for draft picks in next year's draft where it's really deep. And hopefully if, if, you're, if you're Vegas, you end up with three first-rounders again. And you do as good a job as you did this year. I thought George McPhee hit it out of the park. I thought George McPhee came away from day one of the NHL draft. I mean, Ray Shiro wins it by getting the big guy um, and good on Ron Hextall as well. But I'll put George McPhee in that conversation. He was a thief in the night getting those three players, Glass, Suzuki, and Branstrom. Mm-hmm. Bravo. Can you hit it again next year with three more first-rounders? Man, you move your, you move your program up really fast. Problem is you got to go through an entire year of pain, which I think they're poised to anyway. I think the games might be close. Still think they're going to lose a ton. Over under on their points from Vegas, by the way, on Vegas is 65. You go higher or lower than that? Lower. Thank you. I go higher, baby. All right. We got ourselves a bet. Golden Knights playoff bubble. You heard it here first. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. I hope I'm the outlier on that and I can just celebrate it. Celebrate <laughs> like it up Na- and down. They're, they're, they're your Nashville. <laughs> I had Nashville this year. They become your Nashville. Completely. Yep. That's All right. I'm going to look like a super genius. All right, everybody. That's a show for uh, this week. Uh, we'll probably come back and do one post uh, free agency. Uh, thanks to Sammy for working the board, working the magic, as it were. 
when he's not working. Sammy's a happy. Sammy's a happy. I think six Owen Sound players went in the draft. Am I right about that, Sammy? I think that's a new record for that franchise. Not that I know a whole lot about this or anything, but uh, team record: six players drafted. Most of any, <laughs> most of any wow. team in the country. That's amazing. Most How of are any they team with the draft? How are they going to find uh, room on the town sign for six more names? It's pretty <laughs> well, incredible. Uh, Listen, man, Owen Sound's going to be good again next year, and if yeah. they get that goaltender back as uh, whispers have started, oh, Owen Sound's going to be good. Woo. Suzuki's a stud. I'm really excited for him. He's really good. Sweet. He's great. Yeah. Yep, one of the smartest like, players in the draft. Yeah. Like him a lot. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. And, uh, again, thanks for coming out in Chicago and saying hey to me and Jeffy. Yeah, and uh, we'll do this again uh, in the near future. All right, everybody, bye. Thank you.